Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. showering with cold water, which I refuse to do. Yeah, I'm not that kind of person. I don't have nope. that kind of strength. And I don't care that much. <laughs> I did do that for like a week, and Ooh. I was like, why? Why yeah. am I doing this? There's, no, there's no point to this. It will help to preserve your hair color if you'd like. It helps with many things. It'll help you live forever. It'll help you, you know, uh, overcome these mortal concerns. Yes, wow. I, I do. I do like appreciate that of like living in a little bit of discomfort and like becoming immune to that. I get it. But yeah. it's like, but the showers, I need that warm water down my neck for like a good 10 minutes while I think about conversations I haven't had. It yes. can like, calm you know? itchy skin, wake you up, oh. increase circulation, reduce muscle soreness post-workout, boost weight loss, give you glowing hair and skin. <gasps> and that's just before I clicked on any articles. Is this from <laughs> facts.com? What is this? <laughs> Healthline.com. <laughs> we don't take cold showers. I just acknowledge them. Right. <laughs> yeah, it definitely will wake you up. I will. I'll give them that one. You know what else will wake you up? Romulan ale. Nice yeah. segue. Not this synth swill. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. It's the defector. <laughs> don't worry. I'm taking time code notes today. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah, this the, one's well, called segue. Nice. <laughs> the Enterprise grants asylum to a defector from the Romulan Empire who claims to have vital information concerning a renewed Romulan offensive against the Federation. But first, Shakespeare. <laughs> Yay! How random. I was watching this and I was like, of course Picard would program an NPC to look like him. Just so that also <laughs> Patrick Stewart could get some of those uh, acting chops in there because you know this was his idea somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, so that was Patrick Stewart in a wig and warty makeup, right? Yep, yes. Of course. You know what? Originally, and I feel bad about this, I thought it was the scene at the beginning of Hamlet when then there's the two guards on the top of the oh, parapet sure. and then they see the ghost of right. King Hamlet. King Hamlet's dad. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been as relevant for a callback reference later because uh, Henry V is leading his men into battle and this is the... <laughs> Part of the Christmas Day speech, or that's mm -hmm. the whole army. Yep. Well, this isn't that's the, the whole Christmas army, Day I think. speech. Right, right, right. Yeah. This is like just chatting with some plebes. Right. <laughs> just hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Who's ready to die? Huh? Yeah. Huh? We in? If your cousin's not dying? ready to die, he's not invited. <laughs> How about that king? He's awesome, right? I heard he has an eight pack. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even a ten pack. Ooh. <laughs> but I do love all the parallels they're weaving here, right? Because they have this admiral. Uh, he turns out to be an admiral later, disguised as like a, a lower level clerk. And then they have Picard, t uh, you know, lamenting earlier that he couldn't just be among the, the rest of the crew because he has to make these big decisions from the command post. So they're already setting this up early on, which I like. Just to comment on that quick, too, because not only was he pretending to be a low level quirk clerk, he actually was a low level clerk because of where he was stationed and stuff so right. oh. it was like an admiral or a king among the common among the people commoners. I did not see that parallel <laughs> until you said it 
I did a really good job focusing this episode. Just want everybody to know. Sure. <laughs> hey, you write those time codes. Yeah, yeah. This one's the... called Becca's Lost Number One. <laughs> Buckle Originally, up. I believe it was supposed to be a Sherlock Holmes scene. And mm. I think as we discussed when they did Elementary Deer Data, they were afraid I'm of sorry, the Elementary Deer who? Data. Data. It's Deer his data. name. I, guys. <laughs> It was just a slip. <laughs> well, it's important. No, it, last we, if we didn't do it, everyone else would. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In Elementary Dear Data, uh, we talked about this, I believe, in our Talkback episode, which is I think they were afraid of the uh, rights issues with the Sherlock Holmes stuff, so they stopped doing it. Mm. But thankfully, uh, Shakespeare has been out of copyright for quite some time. Public domain. Uh, so they changed it to this. And I, I mean, I could, yeah, then you can see the process of how uh, this probably got brought up as mm. like, Patrick Stewart's like, well, I belong to the Royal Shakespeare Company, so we <laughs> yeah. can put on a few scenes. Well, uh, how much do you think of usage of Shakespeare in popular culture comes from actual actual homage to the Bard, and how much comes from the fact that it is now royalty-free? Mm-hmm. I think column been. A, column B. That's <laughs> There was the same argument for, what was it? It's a Wonderful Life, because is it really a great movie, or did it just have, like, was it cheap to put on, so all this stations did and then it became a classic i think it's both uh i have a strong opinion about this because i oh. watch it every christmas eve it is one of the best movies of all time there you go and I, uh, <laughs> people have strong opinions about shakespeare nice way to stay neutral xander <laughs> way to mention the controversy but stay out of it i just like to watch <laughs> they love it or they know nothing of it those right. are the choices yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so yes, we we also have a lesson in for for data in this, right? Mm -hmm. Is about um, uh, let's see. It was about his Humanity. studies of the human condition, right? But he's yeah. doing it through trying to find an acting method, and Picard's trying to dissuade him to instead like listen to the text and listen to what's happening in this story. Mm -hmm. Picard just wants to direct and yeah. found a willing pupil. That's <laughs> true. What an enthusiastic director, too. He's just off camera like, yes, more. Yes, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love his snarky uh, remarks when Data's like, hey, do you think I could put this on for the rest of them? And he's like, well, let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> not with my name in the director's line. Yeah. He totally is. Like, Dave yeah. did a great job. Like, I was expecting a way worse performance from him. <laughs> he nailed it. He had, like, in, in, inflection, intonation. He had expression. He did. That's Brent. Showing that, is, that is that was Brent. Showing Brent did off too for his well, buddy honestly. Patty. <laughs> you don't think people call him that, Patty? You know, I'm sir I'm Patty. sure they called each other sir Brent Patty. and Patty. Yeah. yeah, Sir Patty. Was he a sir by by this point? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. He knew though. He knew. <laughs> he started having knew. people call him that years before. <laughs> So uh, we get off the holodeck because mm -hmm. guess what? That's where we were. We weren't actually in Shakespeare time. What? I knew it. And we've intercepted a scout ship fleeing the neutral zone, right? Or mm -hmm. is it fleeing Romulan space into the neutral zone? I'm, I'm not quite sure. They're fleeing into Federation territory, which is why they're yes. allowed to capture it, right? Right. They're on the edge of the neutral zone coming into mm -hmm. Federation territory. Right. Followed closely by a Romulan warbird, which we've only seen a couple times at this point. Man, they're such cool models. Mm -hmm. I love the Romulan warbird models. They're very. I wish, I wish we could have one as a specimen to climb aboard and yeah. maybe learn something about the way they build their ships. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably get a crew over there right away. Right away. <laughs> Whoa. Thank goodness they didn't right away because yeah. if anything happened to Jordy, 
I'd have a death list. Becca no riots. one really acknowledged that. Like everybody kind of looked at Picard like, you should say what? you're sorry right now, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna acknowledge that Jordy almost went over there right yeah. right now. <laughs> okay, but you know what? They would have beamed back in time. That happened on a Klingon ship one time. They made mm -hmm. it. <laughs> They figured it out. She's getting the cannon. Nice recovery. Or recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scout ship is piloted by a Romulan defector, we learn. Yes. And when we when we get to we hail him because the the warbird won't answer our calls. And we hail him and it's this very like there's an intense firefight as he's like fleeing from the neutral zone and we go to a screen that's very stable and it's him in a very stable room and he's pushing buttons very furiously <laughs> on what looks like something the size of a calculator. <laughs> And like the poor actor, like that's what he's been given. So he's doing is he's doing a great job yeah. with what he's been given. But it looks so silly because nothing is happening exciting in the frame except his fingers being pressed down. Furiously. Listen, Jake. All this tells us is that Romulans have advanced inertial dampeners that you don't feel like it should be. Uh, yeah, they have great shocks. Yeah. On those ah, inertial dampeners. Mm -hmm. I get it now. And they're a far advanced with screen sizes. They just get smaller and smaller. <laughs> that makes sense. Glasses get better and better. We beam him on board. The war bird retreats because we're in Federation territory. A little suspicious. Yeah, they better. Whatever. What are they even mm. doing in neutral territory? Mm-hmm. Now we're asking the questions. <laughs> I like how indignant you got. <laughs> Excuse me. Like the bad guys. A Federation ship can't go into neutral territory right? without spurring the conflict. How come this war bird just gets to do what it pleases? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. I want an apology. Yeah, I demand one. <laughs> it's the violation of the treaty just called not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We beam aboard the defector and he immediately demands instead of his uh, need for medical attention that Burn. he speaks to the captain and has important things to talk about. And it turns out that he says that he is defecting because the Romulans are about to launch an offensive that would start well, – that would – escalate the war that would start the war it's a little unclear it's because they always war. say they're at war it warm but it then up. they're like warm yeah, i guess so it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ding <laughs> so yes yeah they're gonna launch an offensive right and so well he, he briefs us yeah well he says that um there's like a secret base that's hidden on this planet in the neutral zone that the romulans have been building up under the federation's noses that they have been using cloaking technology potentially to hide this and that sometime soon there's going to be a big reveal about all of these warbirds that are actually around this planet in the neutral zone that will come and be on the offensive that's it that's it. And the whole time we get Gates McFadden's incredible hand acting with that uh, medical <laughs> sensor and dermal I regenerator. Mean, it's not easy to really no. make us feel like you're healing stuff with those. She's so good. Did you notice their little like look towards each other when he, she mentioned that with his metabolism, the pain should go away soon? And he's like, thank you, doctor. Uh, there was originally in one of the first drafts of the scripts, a romance between them, or at <gasps> least like a romantic tension. No. What? Yeah. I'm well, glad they cool. got rid of it. That makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, he doesn't have the same brows that I respect in many Romulans. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have the same. Brow. There was like a double brow thing happening, which I liked. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not. It's not as hot. You know, typically I'd say strong brows are a sign of strong integrity. I need to work on my brows. Yeah. You well, typically say that. I've never. Heard <laughs> I say it once a day, as I do my makeup. <laughs> <In the mirror. laughs> 
just reciting different facial features that are important for a good personality. As you fill them in. <laughs> That's right. Cheeks are for cheerfulness. Lips are very important to the personality. <laughs> I do think eyebrows are su- super important and very distinct. That's why those Romulans and those Vulcans kind of stand out in that way. I just the, trust um, them. More than most Federation members. But the relationship in the, the sickbay scene isn't really... The, the one the relationship we're concerned about in the sick base scene isn't so much crusher it's actually with Worf, right mm-hmm. and that animosity that romulans and klingons have for each other which is a little seed that uh kind of gets dropped and will plant into an interesting plot development later on right yeah well this is also the seed of where we get this exploration of facts and bias on where these facts are coming from one culture's massacre is another's savior like hero type of thing so mm-hmm. This is where it starts, and then we have that same sort of discussion throughout the episode. I trust Klingons, because you know why? Why? <laughs> the brows. Oh. Uh, you know what? I love the respect that he has for understanding where Worf is coming from, mm. even though he's the downfall of society, supposedly. Well, that's what they kind of, they set up in a, in a interesting way, this character, because you you simultaneously trust him and don't trust him. And I, I think you'd trust him because, like, you have an instinct of, like, well, he did defect in some way, and he is on board the Enterprise, and he is trying to share information, whether it's true or not, where he was yet to find out. But there's also some integrity to him in some way. Mm-hmm. He's mean, and he's, he's rude, and he's, like, only really responds to... Uh, authority right Mm -hmm. but he also genuinely wants to speak of peace and he's pretty forward about that so there's something mysterious about this guy he memorized all the Klingon swear words (laughs) only a a what's it would do that I didn't write it down sorry excuse me that's my own word I'll bleep that Oh, thank you. I had, I wrote the note, Troy could have been used way more and way sooner in this whole ordeal. Oh, that's a really good point. She yeah. was in they this had, episode? She, they <laughs> had her in like the interrogation room with Riker. And yeah. it was so underutilized. I was like, she can read emotions. She can like tell if he's telling the truth. What is this? Usually that was a, weird a defector, especially yeah. one that you need to determine whether they're lying or not. That's a clutch Troy situation. Right. Also, when she does all the time, like usually even by the teaser, she's like, he's lying. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> she's yeah. on top of that all the time. You're right, Sandra. I didn't even think of that. But we do go come on to learn that he truly believes in the things that he's saying to himself. He's telling the truth and he's not being deceptive in any way. Right, right. Like, there's something going on as the crew starts to figure out because the warbird, like, didn't really actively pursue him when they check in on, right. like, the velocity of it uh, on the pursuit, right? So this yeah. is where we should have taken these clues and determined he thinks he knows the truth, but he's really just a pawn. There. But that doesn't really occur to pretty much anyone until way later. Did it occur to both of you? No. I thought well I didn't I didn't see this ending coming. Yeah, I appreciated this this ending and the resolution to it because there it there was sort of like a a stereotypical format to it and you think like oh well it's Romulan so ultimately they're the bad guys something's going to go wrong on the planet and da 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 but you could I didn't know what or I couldn't remember what exactly happened. I believe there would be a base. Yeah. Me and Jordy both, you know. Right? And that's never a bad boat to be in. <laughs> in the guts. Yeah. Your guts are based on your subconscious and uh, your collective memory that mm-hmm. tells you things that you're not even consciously thinking about. That's what he should tell Data. Data right. has access to all of his subconscious, so he has a gut as well. 
but th- is it that guns. like data treats all of his data and i mean that that way right. as equal he doesn't distinct he doesn't like have a distinction between what is a fact and what is like his memory because those are facts in a historical record to him either we have explored that or we will explore that in the future where data will have to like pick and choose things to either keep and like but we've explored that his experiences uh, enhance whatever memories he has. So mm-hmm. being there and experiencing the things, I think, denotes... That's what I'm saying. Like, isn't that just more data for data, That's right? True. Isn't that just more of the same? Like, the like the, the distinction that Becca makes, which I think is accurate, is like... And Jordy obviously mm-hmm. does too, is like, it's, it's, it's a different layer of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, we do get to see uh, it's all like sort of behind the scenes, but we do see Troy and Crusher sort of working together, uh, coming in the conclusion of all of this too, which is nice. I always thought it was like the Wharf angle, because like Picard had like this secret thing with Wharf where he's like, "Come to my wedding, well, come to my wedding, my wedding room. Room. come to my wedding room, <laughs> come to my ready room," and like that scene ended, right? So we knew something was going on, and then the Klingons contacted the Enterprise, oh, yeah. and all that was mentioned was, "Hey." Go handle that, Worf. Totally. So we know something's cooking. Yeah, yeah. What's the Troy Crusher scene? Uh, it's still thinking about that one where they're in the leotards and yeah. stretching, <laughs> and they know all the moves. Just in figuring out uh, the conclusion of what happened with him uh, either being uh, implanted with some memory or something, they used like the medical uh, scans and things like that along with the psychological profile. But yeah, the the very end, uh, the surprise is that the Klingons have cloaking technology as well, ah! and they uh, they come well in a company. What? Is that the secret that they also have cloaking technology, or is the twist the fact that they were gonna be involved? Right, like that. Picard saw this coming in some way. And Picard is always a smarty with an ace up his sleeve, but the hmm. plan uh, was. Well, Klingons already are at war with Romulans. Is that right? So it's not Federation stepping in and breaking their treaty it's just them having backup that isn't afraid to fire Mm. i think they're all in a cold war right i think so it's messy yeah treaties often are but yeah i think that the uh uh, an attack from the klingons would be less consequential than an attack from the federation but in the view well yeah because one of them will end (laughs) yeah Yeah. right well sure what do you guys think if you were establishing an international treaty about someone deceiving the other party to make them break the wording of the treaty. Shouldn't treaties have caveats for trickery be damned? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called no shenanigans. No shenanigans <laughs> but that's what treaty. the Robins are always pulling. There's mm-hmm. their shenanigan machines. Yeah, yep. and if it was in today's current U.S. politics, it would be a no malarkey clause. Boy, I'm so glad we popularized that term. Like, it no really malarkey. is out there in the zeitgeist. <laughs> he said it once, and yeah. no one will let him live it he down. He put it on a bus or something, too, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for people who don't live in the U.S., that Biden said malarkey one time. Mm-hmm. And now we will always say malarkey. You know that. You hang out with us. <laughs> yeah, and you say it all the time. You get it. It's part of your vocabulary. I kind of loved this guy's complex story yeah uh, and how it gets revealed over the whole course of the episode the middle was like potentially really slow but they kept kind of giving us little tidbits of possibilities of things with him and you always were kind of doubting your conclusions at least I, I was always doubting my conclusions well can you imagine making one big choice because you think it's gonna save mm-hmm. hundreds of lives thousands of lives but then 
later having to reflect on the fact that you've given up the fact that you have no home, you have no family, you have no you really anymore because our sense of self is tied to all those things and the way other people see us. And you're giving all that up for something very thankless. Mm. This to me actually reminds me of something happening in the world today with uh, Alexei Navalny, mm. who's a political prisoner in Russia, who's like went back to Russia after escaping and like avoiding assassination. Yeah. yeah, avoiding assassination and went back to like face the charges against him, which are like fabricated to pretty much keep him as a political prisoner. And now he's like on a hunger strike right now. And so he's kind of the same way he sacrificed. He went back willingly. He had a life. His wife, he and his wife were out of the country and he went back to, to for his country because he's trying to make a statement about what he wants, which is reform and peace, you know, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what married. Maybe she made the bigger sacrifice there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they both are making sacrifices. I, I don't know if I can compare them, but regardless, like uh, it, the the sacrifice that um, this character is making mm-hmm. is so important, and in, in the distinction that he keeps making when Picard's like, "Well, if you're gonna, if you want to defect," and he's like, "I'm not defecting to hurt the the Romulan Empire. I'm defecting because I don't want you all to go to war. I don't want anybody to be hurt. I want my child to grow up." I loved that speech that about a being a one. father too, yeah. and like. He could have just straight out answered him, but he he didn't answer Picard's question. Instead, he like told the story, and that provided the answer. And I, yeah, that was really a wonderful exchange. There yeah. were quite a few lines that he had that were very like Shakespearean and and amazing. That doesn't seem like an accident. Hmm. This is also <laughs> one that breaks format in that there's there wasn't really a B plot. It was pretty much only the A plot of this one, which is why it was kind of dull. Hmm. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, there were kind of like it was an A plot that that what they do in season three is the B and the C are so related to the A plot now that they feel like they're all kind of one thing. But like, there was kind of the investigation nature of like them also figuring out what the diplomatic side of what was going on, mm-hmm. in addition to his mystery, right? Whether Picard was uh, speaking with the admiral or working with Worf or the or like Crusher and the team figuring and out the engineering uh, plot of exploring the planet, mm-hmm. yeah. sending mm-hmm. drones, figuring out if yeah. there really is a star base, which there was not just mm-hmm. a cloaked drone. Right. So instead of there being like a, a whole B plot, mm-hmm. it's like all these little B plots that were in service to the A. Yeah. I like when they tie together in a neat bow, but I don't like right. when they're just derivative subplots. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's, I think, the the change in that when we've had the B-plot before, it was like a refresher or like a palate cleanser from one story to another. And when they're yeah. related too closely, then it feels like just one story moving forward rather than later when they come together, you didn't see them intersecting. There's a bit of a <gasps> with that as yeah. well. But I do like that they change formats. Like if it was always the same, then that magic would uh, would not work either. Yes and no. I mean, formulas have been proven on unscripted American television to work. <laughs> it's true. Also, I feel like the real secret sauce is just always have sparkly unitards in your people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I like that's a demand for every episode now. It's like, well, we need one of these scenes in here. Yeah. Uh, and then we do have a, like a, an ending scene where we find out that he does take his own life. Which is a little bit disappointing, I think, but ultimately we find that, you know, Picard and the rest of them respected what what he did and that the sacrifice really was worth something. That was Chekhov's candy tablet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
I wrote that it was an antacid. Uh, so like when, yeah, when he gets on board the ship, we see when he goes to his quarters that he's been given that he pulls something out of his boot. And the audience is led to believe through a little bit of music, honestly, that mm-hmm. like it's, he has ulterior motives, right? Dun, dun, or there's dun. something that he's going to do. But yeah, we learn later that, yeah, it was a, uh, a suicide tablet of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, the campiness of this show in general, which I love and is earnest and was of the time period is a lot to do with the soundtrack. If right. we completely re-soundscaped this show, it wouldn't feel as campy. You can do things to subvert expectation with audio. I just heard an interview with Misha Green, who was the showrunner for Lovecraft Country, and I'm a really mm. big fan of that show. Yeah. And they did really interesting stuff with their soundscape where they take spoken word poetry or they take, you know, like very juxtaposed or sometimes very blatant like just spoken word that was talking about um something very much what they want you to feel from the scene but not like literally saying it something Mm -hmm. tangential uh, in a way that anyway when they play a when you see his his death tablet (laughs) it spells it out when if it was uh a different music choice we would feel like it's more modern but did they spell out what it was? Because it was still mysterious, right? Like we didn't know, We've and it seen, led us to like. Distrust. I wrote suicide tablet. Oh, <laughs> did you really? Yeah. What else would it be? Either that or a bomb. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was a device or like a bug or something. Yeah, we've seen people assemble whole like machine guns out of their boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right, the Klingons. Well, when your belt buckles were disruptors or something. Yeah. When you're a defector going into the enemy's ship, you kind of need a, a plan B. And it, yeah. you're right, all of those things would be plan B, but the simplest plan B is uh, peace out. <laughs> I love that aspect of like his dilemma too, because he blows up his own ship, and he mm-hmm. also won't tell them any of the secrets. Like Picard's, like you know, tell us how to defeat a warbird. He's like, I'm not, I'm loyal to the Empire. I I know I'm defecting, but I'm loyal to what their survival, right? Mm-hmm. And like it's it's crazy they doesn't get through to them, and eventually it does. And so then we have this resolution where it turns out uh, the Romulans are ambushing us at the. At the moon, and um, the same commander that we saw a few episodes mm-hmm. back with was it the enemy? Mm, I don't remember the episode title. Whitey's yeah, I think ambush it was on the moon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Commander Tomalak. Yes, I believe his name was. Yeah, Tomalak. <laughs> yeah, and they pretty much get into a like a standoff mm-hmm. where there's gonna be some mutually assured destruction, and uh, Picard pulls his ace out of his sleeve, as we said, and the. Uh, Birds of prey. Well, the actual ace of the sleeve was that he convinced this admiral to share some Romulan secrets because, like you said, he was saying that he wasn't defecting, but then he let them in on their like uh, their frequencies and stuff like that, and said that he was being cooperative, so they could form a plan uh, and like combat tactics and things like that. I was that. confused by that. I thought it was a bluff at first. I thought he was like, because because we didn't hear him give any of that, which honestly would be too much exposition and they don't need the scene anyway, it uh-huh. felt like there was another mystery that was happening. Like he was working with, but like why would Picard deceive his own crew? So yeah. I was kind of confused by that. Just the delivery of it felt super weird. Mm. Well, I felt like it was him giving in of like Picard got through at the end. We just didn't see the breakthrough. Yeah. He always does. He always does. <laughs> So you were disappointed by the ending, Xander? No, I loved the ending. 
Oh, I was disappointed. I love the ending too. I, yeah, I was disappointed. I guess in the choice to have the character go through with it and not have to like live and and go through with those consequences. But I see what they were doing, uh, and it it allowed the Enterprise crew to sort of express their feelings about the the character after the fact. Yeah, I was like, I didn't find this episode campy at all. But like, I also wasn't like emotionally moved uh, by it until the very ending. Yeah. When like Picard's mentioning about the letter to his daughter, right. and like someday they'll take the letter home, I was like, "Oh, I had that is a nice sentiment." Damn it, Star Trek. Yeah. Well, and it <laughs> shows me. that the character had hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I feel like some of this comes back into play in future Star Trek. Does this? Does this, some of this come back in Picard at all? Without spoiling. Uh, yeah, yes, you could say so. Okay. You could say so. Well, I, I just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this episode's all right. Oh. Okay. Okay. I really like this one. I, I did too. And I hear what you're saying about like the the kind of the A plot issue, Becca, mm. about like we like that was kind of the problem. But like I full disclosure, we've watched the next episode, which I feel has the same problem of the A plot issue, and mm-hmm. I liked this one more. But mm. we'll get into that next week. Speaking I, of I love next, a sexy bad boy. Oh, that's what it was for you. I should have known. Mm-hmm. Loyalty, family, uh, honor to your people. Ugh. If this guy's brows were only better, you would have been <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, yes. <laughs> well, next week, we're watching The Hunted. Um, let me find a better description than what's written here. Hot guy rebel is running away. We gotta catch him. Oop, he's better than we thought. Nailed it. <laughs> the cadence the cadence really make me feel like you were gonna rhyme there for a second. Oh yeah. My name is Andrew, I'm here to say. Next up is the hunted in a major way. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, the- <laughs> Sir. Thanks. Thank you. Bow to you. You are promoted to commander. Thank you. Well, we'll set our course for another single A plot next week. Engage. Engage. So. Oops. <laughs> Engage. Engage.